Hello and welcome back to the Chris Ye podcast. I am, as always, Chris Ye, and I am joined today by Scott Johnson of Blitzscaling Ventures. Hello, Scott. Hello, Chris. Great to be here again. And if Scott is back, that means it's time for another edition of the monthly review of Blitzscalable Deals. This time, since it's October 2020, we'll be reviewing the deals for September 2020. What's the first deal on the list, Scott? This was a bumper crop. Well, yeah, let's first review a couple of statistics. So we had a total of 81 deals. These are deals done by, as you may recall from prior podcasts, the, the top 30, what we consider some of the top 30 VCs, the ones we track at Blitzscaling Ventures. And we look at the deals they do, and then we grade them for blitz scalability. And there were 82 total, 20 of which warranted further consideration. So we narrow it down to ones that, you know, have some indication they might be winner take most markets. And we look into them further and try to understand, you know, how strong are the network effects? How, how good is the distribution opportunity and et cetera. And that's what you'll hear in detail about all the companies that we look at. But we, uh, we actually got a, a more than usual uh, hits on ones that could possibly blitz scale. There are a total of one, two, three, four, five that we think could blitz scale. That's a pretty high number. We're only going to go over three of them today, the three top scoring ones. And the first one is going to be a company called Bunch. This is a Series A and $20 million uh, led by General Catalyst. And Bunch is a really interesting company. What they do is they have an API so that you can play uh, mobile games with your friends. And so it's, it's essentially uh, a way of lay, overlaying video chat on top of mobile games as you play. You can play the game simultaneously. And it's something that uh, has been available on computer games and, and to some degree console games for a long time, but not mobile. And Bunch wants to make it really easy for uh, game developers and publishers to make that happen. And we think this is pretty cool. So Chris, do you want to just start by talking about gaming in general and how Blitzscaling applies to game companies? Absolutely. And when we first looked at Bunch, as soon as I took a look at the website and grasped what they were doing, I loved, loved, loved the deal. Now, what's interesting is that Blitzscaling and gaming have a somewhat fraught relationship. And the reason is that Blitzscaling is all about achieving some kind of sustainable competitive advantage. Whereas the gaming industry is often known as a hits-driven business, where if you can't come up with another hit game, every game that you create eventually fades. Something like Angry Birds is a huge hit and carries on for a number of years, but it's not going to be around 20 or 30 years later. And so what you really need to be able to do is to build some sort of platform on the video game side. And that's, of course, where we've seen the enormous success of the console companies like Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft, the enormous success of the platforms like Steam and Valve and so on and so forth. And so what's interesting about video gaming is, yes, you need the hits, but building some kind of platform, building something where there is a lot of applicability rather than just looking at individual games, that's how you successfully blitzscale in that industry. Right, that's, that's right. So with Bunch, we have that, I think, right? We have a, a platform that sits on top of any popular game and can ride the wave of mobile gaming. 
Uh, certainly another platform is, uh, is Android and iOS, right? Those are both platforms for games, among other things, of course, but a lot of games played on phones and more and more every day. So this is the right place to be for growth in the gaming world. And the uh, network effects, why don't you just describe the network effects of Bunch? Yeah, so this is absolutely one of the deals I've loved the most out of any of the deals that we've seen. And it's because you're layering a couple of different effects together. The first is the platform network effect because Bunch can be the standard way by which you add video chat to existing games. And so instead of having to build from scratch, you're able to retrofit pretty much every game that already exists. I love that. That's a great network effect. The other network effect is that Bunch obviously starts to become like a social network because you're going to be building together these small groups of people playing games. You're going to be connecting with your friends who you typically play a lot. You're going to be inviting them in. That's more on the viral side. But the point is because of the social networking characteristics, that's yet another network effect. And that's why we gave it a 10 out of 10. Could not love it more. So for viral growth and distribution, Chris, you know, this is the other really key element for blitzscaling alongside network effects or winner take most characteristics. You know, they have some interesting investors that can help them with that. You want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah. So what's interesting about the viral growth and distribution is I referenced earlier how there is a social network effect where people are going to bring their friends onto the platform. The issue is we always measure the level of friction involved. And the thing about Bunch is in order for this to work, people actually have to use the version of the game that is on the Bunch platform. So you can't just sort of reach out to people and have them start playing with you with their existing game. Unless, of course, the Bunch technology is built into the games themselves. And that's why it's so important that so many of Bunch's investors are the leading lights in the video game field. Of course, they have a great venture capitalist, general catalyst. We love them. We love their deals. But we also have Electronic Arts. We have Riot Games. We have Supercell, Take-Two Interactive, Ubisoft. These are some of the biggest names in the video game industry. And the hope would be that over time, they're going to start building Bunch into all of their games. Now, the way to think about it as well is from a strategic standpoint, this is almost a way for them to do an end run around or take on Facebook, where Facebook came in as a gaming platform and really shut things down by insisting on taking a take on everything. Bunch offers them a way to start bringing in the social element without having to pay the tax to Facebook. So I think that's one of the main reasons they're involved with this. They see this as a counterweight to the social networks of the world. That being said, it's still not the case that games come out bunch enabled. Until that point in time, there's still friction. So we didn't give them a perfect score, but we did give them an eight out of 10. All right, so that's viral growth and distribution where there is some friction. I mean, trying to get a, each additional gaming company to sign up does take time. So you don't get a perfect score as you pointed out, but they do have a great head start with their investors. On to product market fit. How are we thinking about that? We haven't used the product. We've sort of seen it on video. So what's, what's our, our means of, of trying to estimate what that is? So the nature of the product itself lends itself to great product market fit. It's just very simply putting video chat on top of the existing game interface. And so it is very simple, very additive. It should work well. The reason we're not giving it a 10 out of 10 is just we don't know how well it's going to work from an operational standpoint in terms of reliability. One of the things I often say about Zoom is I say the reason Zoom is so effective as a conferencing service 
is the fact that you can count on it actually working. And it overcomes all the hiccups, all the performance issues, the CPU, and so on and so forth that often trip up other systems. And with Bunch, the same thing applies. Yes, absolutely, there may be multiple ways to do voice chat, but it has to be something that is ultra-reliable and high quality. If it does, it could very well end up with a 10 on product market fit, but because we're going off of what we see and there's still some uncertainty, let's just go with a nine. Yeah, and I'm gonna add just one thing, which I think is important from the game developer's point of view, they want their game to be more viral. And this adds an element of virality because somebody, you finally get somebody to, to try your game and love it, and then they wanna share it with their friends and play it with their friends all of a sudden. And Without this, they have no means of somebody playing it with their friends. This enables them to play it with their friends. This suddenly takes a, a single successful customer acquisition and turns it into a viral event. And not only that, but increases engagement because more people are going to come back more often if they can play it with their friends. So very important for the things that game publishers really care about the most, this really, this turbocharges those things. So I think that, that from that point of view, the, from the point of view of not the game player, but the game publisher, this is great product market fit and they're going to be very excited about it. All right, market size. Well, for the rest of these, which are market size, gross margin, org scalability, op scalability, this is a company where because of its industry, because of the nature of its business model, it pretty much gets 10 out of 10 across the board. Video gaming, of course, is an enormous industry, bigger than the rest of the entertainment industry now. Gross margins on software are basically 100%. Organizational scalability and operational scalability are very low for a purely electronic product. For all of these reasons, this is a very attractive business model. That's five tens out of seven with an eight and a nine. That's a really good score. It is, and a 10 and an eight on the truly essential elements for both scaling, the ones that score that we weight the heaviest. So a total of 87, remember our, our A, if you wanna get an A as a company in blitz scalability, an 80 is what you're going for. And to get an 87, that's pretty rare that we see a score like that. So this is a, a, an, extra, <clears throat> an extra interesting one for us, as you mentioned early, and we're certainly gonna be reaching out to this company and trying to learn more and see if all our assumptions are correct about their business. All right, moving on. So going from a gaming company to a FinTech company and it's called Ledger Investing, and it's an online marketplace that powers interactions between investors and insurance carriers. So if you insure something and you want to lay off some of that risk, you can get some investors to help you out with that. It's the way Lloyd's has worked for a very long time, and they just want to institutionalize that. And it's, it's founded by some, some industry experts, the people who are have been in this industry for a long, 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 long time. Round size, 10 and a half. So, you know, a good series A that they've got going. And it's um, it's got Excel in the deal. So they have some good backing. I, what what do you think about network effects and viral growth? Those two key elements here, Chris, how, how's Ledger Investing hold stand up? Well, Ledger does very well, if not perfectly on these. And that's because of the nature of its business model. It is an online marketplace. And as we know, an online marketplace is subject to very strong two-sided network effects. And as a result, most of these get 10 out of 10. 
The reason why they don't get 10 out of 10 is if the transactions themselves are commodity transactions where it really doesn't matter. But in this case, that's definitely not the case. This is connecting investors and insurance carriers with a brand new kind of security. These are very complicated things. There's a lot of money involved. So having the most liquidity possible, having the broadest set of participants at the table is really important. So I give it a 10 out of 10 on network effects. And then on viral growth or distribution, that is something where, again, a bit like Bunch, there's the issue of being able to reach these very key players. But unlike Bunch, the key players are very limited. There's a small number of institutional investors and a small number of major insurance carriers. And if you get them on board, then the rest will follow. And the good news for them is like Bunch, they've done a good job with their investors. They've brought in Mass Mutual Ventures. Mass Mutual is one of the big insurance carriers. And so there's already third-party validation of their approach and its appeal to the insurance carrier side. So viral growth and distribution, again, there is going to be a lot of this hand-to-hand -hand combat, but it is concentrated. They've already got a head start, so we gave them an eight out of 10. So much like Bunch, 10 and eight, those are very good scores. That's a great start because those are where we wait the most and you, you kind of need to get good scores there to ultimately end up with a good score. Um, let's not forget trust in the network as well when we're talking about network effects. If, you, if it's a network where trust in the network doesn't matter that much, then it's less sustainable. In this case, building that trust with both sides of the marketplace is key. And look at the New York Stock Exchange, look at NASDAQ. Those are other financial marketplaces where trust in the network is not as important as liquidity, but nearly so. And those have certainly endured and printed money for decades. So that's what we're hoping will happen here. Product market fit and market size. How do you think about those two? Well, product market fit here is good. Although again, it remains to be seen. We, they are trying to do something new. This is not the typical way that insurance risk has been handled in the past but it is a way that the financial services industry has handled risk in the past. So it's not like it's completely new. It's just that there are a lot of conservative folks involved in the industry. It may take them a while to come around. So we can't give them the perfect score because it's novel enough. We're giving them an eight out of 10, but nonetheless, this is something where I would expect the product market fit to actually improve over time, not necessarily because of improvements in product, although I'm sure those will happen, but because of the education of the market. Well, and let's not forget, this is a moment in time where interest rates are zero and investors are dying for yield. And they can find some yield in these insurance products. Boy, are they going to eat it up. So I think, you know, that certainly props up the product market fit score from the buyer side of this equation. Market Excellent size. Yeah, market, market size here is in absolutely enormous. We're talking about the insurance industry, which is absolutely colossal. There are trillions and trillions of dollars involved here. And there's the opportunity to touch much of that industry because you're talking about taking this gigantic asset class and really securitizing it and making it more available to investors. So that is a 10 out of 10 if I've ever seen one. Yeah, and so gross margin, again, they have a take rate here. It's 100% gross margin on the take rate minus, you know, a little bit of technology that's underlying it. So there's a high gross margin here. Um, and then scalability, you know, organizational scalability, they took a little hit. Why is that? So they took a hit because this is a highly regulated industry. And it is some pretty big players that are involved on the investor side, on the insurance carrier side. 
So we're talking about something that will likely begin as a very high-touch operation where you'll have a lot of compliance personnel, a lot of legal fees and lawyers and things like that. These are all going to hamper the organizational scalability. It's not like when you have a picture-sharing social network or something where there's basically zero need for people. So there is a strong need for people. There's going to be institutional salespeople. There's going to be compliance personnel. It's going to take a while. And that's not to say that you can't grow. It's just to say that it's not as easy to scale as an Instagram. Yeah, and that in a sense becomes a advantage, right? Because to, to replicate all that and all the compliance and you know the regulators and they're just dealing with all that, it takes a real specific skill set that's that's difficult to to uh, assemble. And once you figure that all out, it becomes a barrier to entry. So it is a uh, you know it's a challenge, but on the other hand, if you do it well, it can become a barrier. But that's a six out of ten because it is a it is uh, something that drags down scalability a little bit and then operational scalability you know it's this is this is technology it's in the cloud it's 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 something that uh, you shouldn't uh, it, it, the cost does not go up with the organizational uh, costs it's 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 not linear it's far from that so we, we give them a 10 out of 10 there like most cloud services so overall I think it's worth is, I think say, it's worth mentioning on the operational scalability you have to think about this in comparison to a traditional exchange like a New York Stock Exchange or something like that. The reason it's even more scalable and so beautiful is that the average transaction size is enormous. It's not as time sensitive, right? These are not securities that are being traded on a microsecond by microsecond basis. So you don't have to worry about spending 10 times as much in order to shave up a few microseconds or nanoseconds or whatever the case may be. And it's just a relatively smaller number of players. There aren't millions of retail investors that they've got to handle the order flow of. So all of these simplify the scalability issue and make it easier for them to scale than a traditional exchange. Right. So final score, 83. 83 out of 100. Again, above 80. Again, an A. Not the A plus that Bunch got, but definitely an A. And it's something that uh, should very much consider scaling as fast as they can so that nobody else takes this market because it could be an incredibly lucrative market to own. And that brings us to our third company, which we're back to gaming, Chris. And I think this is a particularly interesting company at this moment in time because Roblox, which is essentially what we call YouTube for gaming. You have a bunch of creators of games and there are a bunch of players of games and Roblox in Roblox, they sort of exist in a parallel universe of gaming and it's on mobile and it's grown like crazy. It's a wonderful social network where you have game creators and game consumers and there's a lot of money that gets thrown off in the, in the and, and it's a platform as you talked about. This is a platform for gaming, the Roblox. But Roblox has one challenge, which is that their demographic kind of ends at college age. So they, they sort of keep people up through high school, but then people high school and beyond, which is a large component of the gaming community, are not using Roblox. They're moving on to console games. And Manticore thinks they have an answer to that. Yeah, so Manticore I, is a fascinating, fascinating company. Again, very different from Bunch, but very similar. You may recall I was talking about the importance of building platforms rather than just trying to build individual games. Well, Manticore has built a platform. It's a PC gaming platform right now, which is not a console, but rather games that are played on a PC or Macintosh. Right now it's PC only because that's the majority of the market, especially for gaming. 
And what people do is they install the Manticore platform that's called Core on their computer and the developers develop for it. And it's able to provide more of a AAA experience than something simple like a Roblox. And so it's going to appeal more to older gamers, the more mature gamers that actually represent the majority of the marketplace. And the reason there are really strong network effects here is the same thing that we've seen with Roblox. As we said, YouTube for gaming. If you have the most creators, you're going to get the most consumers. If you have the most consumers, you're going to attract the most creators. And from what we can tell, they've done a great job of this. For example, one of these stories I found was that a particular convention did a contest and a hundred different people created Dungeons and Dragon themed games on Manticore's platform. The fact that a hundred people were able to do this just for an individual convention is a great sign for the ability of, of people to just create something and then also for the ability to tap into all these built-in audiences in the future. So the network effects of the platform are very strong and we gave it a 10 out of 10. Yeah, and well-deserved. So um, three companies in a row that got a full credit for the, the network effects and that's not something we see every month by any means. So this is a, a bumper crop. Let's talk about this round in the investors for just a second before we talk about viral growth and distribution. So the A round was done by Benchmark, which we all know is <clears throat> neck and neck with Sequoia and Greylock perhaps as the premier investors in Silicon Valley. And you, people might argue about who's, who's at the top of that, but there's, there's, these are top tier investors that we're talking about. And following them in is Epic Games. And of course, Epic is one of the premier game console uh, game developers for consoles and, and PCs. So that's, that's a terrific uh, uh, investor to add. And, you know, it's really important that the, the, the publishers, the game publishers are on board here and Epic joining is going to help with that. So with that as a backdrop, why don't you talk about the, uh, the distribution opportunity here? Well, and that will actually start to involve in their third investor, Rock Nation, which is to say Jay-Z. So if we think about Manticore and their viral growth and distribution, there's several things they need to do. They need to be able to make developers aware of it. And that's what they're doing by partnering with conferences and other things like that. I think the Rock Nation relationship will help them with quite a bit with that as well. And then they also need to get distribution to the individual consumers of computer games, the PC gamers that are their target market. But the great thing about what they're doing is they're riding on top of existing brands and existing IP. As we said, 100 Dungeons and Dragons themed games. You can imagine all the things that they can do with this platform that are themed with, pre, with different IP. Now, historically, these companies that run entertainment have licensed their IP. So you can think of, for example, if I think about the console games, I think about things like the Lego Harry Potter, the Lego Star Wars, and so on and so forth, right? You have the Lego license, and you have the Harry Potter or Star Wars license, and you've built entire franchises based on this IP. And that's fine if you have a gigantic world-spanning IP that can justify the $100 million budget of a AAA console game. But now all of a sudden, even people who are a bit smaller, maybe an individual musical performer, maybe a smaller television show or a hit TV show that's not a world-spanning IP, can actually have games built on their IP in a near AAA level of quality using the Manticore platform. So I think that that kind of 
distribution is going to be very powerful. It's something that people haven't been able to do, had to do before, and it gives them a differentiated way to reach the market. So we ended up giving them, at, like the previous two companies we discussed, an eight out of 10. Yeah, so when you think about Manticore, Roblox kind of showed them the way that this could actually work, that just, you know, sort of the, the, the community could create games that people would actually play. I think that was a surprise. Uh, and, but, you know, man, so to say Roblox showed the way, Manticore said, ooh, I'm going to make this work for the really interesting market where the real money gets spent on games. And so this could be, uh, this could be a real blockbuster of the company. Product market fit. Yes. So product market fit. This is the one where there's still the most uncertainty. We gave it a relatively lower score, not because of any inherent issues, just with the uncertainty. So Manticore is trying to thread the needle on something, which is to say to create a game development platform that is simple enough for non-developers to use, but which has the power and graphics and sophistication to resemble a AAA game to satisfy the older gamer, the older PC gamer who's used to things that are not just simple online play games like Roblox. And so that is a delicate needle to thread because the more powerful you make the platform, the less accessible it is to the inexperienced developer. The more you cater to the inexperienced developer, the less powerful the platform. And so the big question is just how well have they threaded the needle? And because they're still very early, it's hard to say. So we're still provisionally just giving them a six, but that's based on uncertainty. They could easily boost that higher. And that's the sort of thing that we might revise after talking with the CEO. Yeah, perfect. So um, the rest of it is all tense, just like in Bunch. You know, we have market size, gross margin, scalability, really hard to knock them for any of those. These, this is extraordinarily scalable. That's what makes the gaming industry so great. You create a wonderful game or a wonderful game platform and it just scales and it scales into an enormous market. So it's, 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 uh, it's just a terrific blitzscaling opportunity if you can pull it off and maybe they can. They've got the investors behind them and the, the good head start that, that could lead to quite the lightning in the bottle opportunity here. All right, so those are our three top scorers. And, oh, sorry, final score is 82. So just below 83. Remember, this is directional scoring. We're using public information to score these things. It's the first filter we use at Blitzscaling Ventures. And as Chris mentioned, then we go and contact the company and really understand their business better and revise the scoring and revise our point of view. But we want to at least get a good score before we enter that next phase. And we've got three this, this month that really showed some great scores, so we're excited. All right, so one company that caught our eye that did not score as well, it caught our eye because there is a network effect here. It's just not as strong as the ones that we just went over, but it's a fascinating company and it's called Fan Controlled Football League. And Chris, you wanna explain how this works? Yeah, so the Fan Controlled Football League, which has raised money from Lightspeed, which is of course a premier firm, along with uh, Verizon Ventures, Correlation Ventures, and Ale Alexis Ohanian, who is the founder of Reddit and also perhaps very well known in the sports world as the husband of all-time tennis great Serena Williams. Anyways, the Fan Controlled Football League 
is a fascinating concept that I just love the idea of, even though I don't love the business. And the idea is, what if you created an entire football league, and that's American football, not soccer, but created an entire football league where all the teams were controlled by fans, which is to say, if you're the fan of a club, while the game is going on, you actually have an app on your phone and you're making play calls. And based on whatever play call the most fans want to go with, the team actually runs those. So it's every football fan's dream, which is the ability to draft players, the ability to hire fire coaches, the ability to actually call the plays during the game. And that's what makes it so enormously appealing. And there are network effects involved in the sense that if you build an actual league, you've seen how the major league sports here in the United States have been able to essentially maintain a monopoly for so long. Many people have tried, for example, to take on the National Football League and failed. People have tried innovations around the edges for baseball or hockey and so on and so forth. But guess what? The major leagues, once they're firmly established, are almost impossible to dislodge. So in that sense, there could be a very strong network effect. Uh, however, when it comes to creating a brand new league, it's very difficult to get this set up. There's a reason why these leagues have failed. But I think the fan-controlled football league is very smart in going in a very different direction. Instead of just sort of saying, hey, here's another league just like every other league, it's here's a league where you actually control the action. Yeah, it's taking, uh, taking the old term armchair quarterback to a whole new level. And I think it's fascinating. And it's also sort of taking DraftKings and doing sort of the, the next evolution of getting fans involved in the sport that they are passionate about. So we'll, we'll see. It'll be interesting to track. We're not investors here. We're, uh, we're fans of the Fan Control Football League, but no more. All right, that's it for this week for the companies we're going to discuss. Any final word, Chris, before we sign off? I would just say that this was an incredible bumper month. It's very rare. We see so many interesting companies, as you can tell. You can hear the excitement in our voice as we're talking about companies like Bunch and Ledger and Manticore, and even a company like the Fan Control Football League, which is not a high scorer, but really doing interesting stuff. I think that what we've seen now that we've been watching deals for this period of time is that the ingenuity of entrepreneurs is incredible. And there are just so, still so many great opportunities to build amazing companies. Perfect. Well, thanks for having me on, Chris. Much obliged, Scott. It's always great to have you here. And I will be looking forward to having you back in a month when we're going to talk about October deals. Uh, this has been the Chris Yeh Podcast, and on behalf of Scott Johnson of Blitzscaling Ventures, thank you for listening.